I invite you to turn now in your Bibles to the scripture passage we will consider this morning from Isaiah chapter 56. As a brief introduction, I remind you that last week we heard God's bold and wide-reaching invitation to all people to come and enjoy his salvation, to come and buy and drink and eat, even though you have no money and nothing to give to God, come and receive graciously. And it was to all. And in this passage here, the Lord doubles down, we can say. He doubles down on the list of his invited people, those whom he invites. And he shows us how radically inclusive he wants his people to be. And so with that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1 to 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. For all peoples, the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing as we study this passage together. Well, as I opened up this passage and began to read it and study it this past week, I was drawn to a particular word inclusivity. Now that word, it's a very popular word today, and it's primarily used today in our culture by progressives and the LGBTQ community. But isn't it silly how we let words become sort of hostages of different tribes? And this happens with all different kinds of tribes, uh, where they kind of take a word and claim it as their own. Because in reality, when we look into what the word inclusivity means, it simply means this, the practice or policy of providing equal access and opportunities and resources for those who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized, such as having physical or intellectual disabilities or belonging to other minority groups. So it's the practice of including instead of excluding others. 
Inclusivity is related to the word include, which means from its original etymology, its roots, to close in, to close in. So think of a man who's granted access into a VIP club by a bouncer who then closes the door behind him as he walks into that VIP club. He has the membership and he belongs. And that door closing behind him shows all that he is included, while it shows those who are outside that they are excluded. And this concept about inclusion or inclusiveness is at the heart of this passage here in Isaiah. Remember, right after that big invitation we heard in Isaiah chapter 55, where God was inviting everyone who thirsts to come, here Isaiah is showing us that God really does mean everyone. Everyone is invited. In verses 3 through 8, we find God promising to gather in the outcasts. Not just the outcasts of Israel, but even more outcasts from among the nations, gathering them to his Christ, his Messiah, Jesus. We find the good news that everyone who joins himself to the Lord by faith will be fully included into the house of God with an everlasting name. We find in this passage the promise that outcasts will be granted access and belonging to the house of God by grace. Now, when would this happen? If you look back at the text, according to verse 1, this inclusion would happen, Isaiah says, soon. When God's salvation comes and his righteousness is revealed. Now, those two terms, the Lord's salvation and righteousness here, are shorthand for all that the Messiah would come to do. Coming to fulfill all righteousness and to bring God's salvation to Israel and to the nations. In other words, Isaiah is saying that this inclusion would happen when Christ comes, in whom the salvation and righteousness of God are found and is revealed. This blessing, then, of inclusion and belonging, we find would be given to those who were previously excluded by the Mosaic law, including, most especially we find here in the text, the foreigners and the eunuchs. Now, to understand this, we have to remember that before Jesus came, the people of God were a very exclusive people. Access to God's presence in the temple was heavily restricted with various barriers keeping people out. Uncircumcised foreigners, also called Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, were not allowed into this inclusive inner courts of the temple of God. They were excluded. They were kept to the outside. And also, according to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, no eunuch could enter into the assembly of the Lord. And that means that no male castrated could have true belonging to God, could truly be part of God's people. The fact that his sexual organ was in that literal way cut off symbolically meant that he was cut off from God and that he did not fully belong to God and his people as a citizen of Israel. He was excluded. Now, this exclusion in the Old Testament era during the Mosaic 
economy of God's law during that time period was not God's ultimate intent. Rather, rather the fact that many were excluded from God's people and access to his presence and intimacy with him was meant to communicate to Israel and to all people how far we as humans have fallen away from God and have excluded ourselves from fellowship with him by separating ourselves with our sin. Ever since the fall in the beginning with the first man, Adam, humans have a bend towards exclusion. Adam excluded himself from fellowship with God when he chose to eat of that forbidden fruit and he cut himself off from God. He broke covenant with God, which separated us from God and also brought a rift and tension between the rest of all of God's creation, turning us even against our creator God. And so we all in Adam deserve to be excluded from fellowship with God because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve to be excluded. None of us deserves to be included into fellowship with God and communion with him And yet here Isaiah is declaring to us how God had planned all along to include even those who were most excluded. In his book, Exclusion and Embrace, theologian Miroslav Volf shows how the Son of God came into this world in order to embrace outcasted sinners for the purpose of reconciling them to God bringing back peace and restoration and fellowship with God. He writes, People who, like tax collectors, harm others in order to benefit themselves. People who, like prostitutes, debase themselves in order to prosper or just survive. People who, like most of us, are bent on losing their own souls in order to gain a bit of the world. Such People, Jesus came to forgive and transform. Those are the ones that Christ came to forgive and transform and to include into his people. For those who had no chance of belonging in this world and no chance of securing a lasting legacy, no matter how hard they worked at it, no matter how hard they strived, Jesus would by grace include them into his house and bestow upon them his family name. That's what Isaiah is declaring here in this passage. Jesus came to transform those who are cast off out of the world like dry trees, transforming them into fruitful trees planted in the kingdom of God to endure forever. And so this passage is showing us how the coming of the Son of God into the world was for that purpose, of reconciling outcasted sinners back to God, bringing peace and blessing to those who were once cast off. We find, interestingly, in the last week of Jesus' life, the last week of his life and his ministry on earth, Jesus quoted from this very passage here. Isaiah chapter 56 was on Jesus' heart as he approached his death there on the cross, which was the purpose of his coming. And why? Why? Because the whole purpose of his coming was to be excluded by the world on the cross so that we would be re-included into the communion of God. 
God the Son left the inner court of the Trinity, leaving that inner court of the Trinity to come into this world and to be cut off by humanity on a dead, dry tree so that we would be transformed into living trees and brought back into fellowship with God. And when did Jesus quote Isaiah 56 and what exactly did he say? Well, it's found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in his triumphant entry, the week of his passion, his suffering, leading to his death. And Luke tells us that after he entered into Jerusalem, he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold. Then he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, quoting from Isaiah, but you have made it a den of robbers. What truth was Jesus pointing out when he quoted that passage from Isaiah in that context? Well, you have to remember where that happened, where the incident happened, where he quoted it. He quoted that passage from Isaiah, where? In the outermost courtyard of the temple, which was also the court of the Gentiles. And as the name implies, this was the very place where uncircumcised Gentiles could draw near to God in prayer. It was the only part of God's temple structure that was made accessible to Gentiles, foreigners, and those who were considered impure. But instead of preserving that place for outsiders to come and find God, they had turned that court into a marketplace with money changers. It was a den of robbers because theft was going on, but not only literal theft with money, but also we could say they were robbing outsiders, the opportunity to find God in prayer. Jesus was calling them out for their selfishness. They cared more about their own convenience in worshiping God than they did about including outsiders into communion with God. And this passage was on Jesus' heart when he saw them in that way desecrating the temple by hindering outsiders from finding God. And Jesus was outraged by the way that they excluded others for their own selfish gain because soon he would lay down his own life in order to include sinners for their gain. The salvation and righteousness of God had come that Isaiah prophesied. He had come in person to them, in the person of Jesus, and they were not yet ready. They were not yet ready to include such outcasts into the house of God. They were not prepared for the wide-reaching grace of God that Isaiah prophesied long before. Now, there's another New Testament story that we find that's also deeply connected with this passage in Isaiah. It's found in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And there, we read a fascinating story about an Ethiopian eunuch. It's a story about God gathering into his communion, into his fellowship, into his people, one who was both a foreigner and a eunuch, which is what Isaiah here was prophesying. God, we find in that text, sent his servant Philip to a desert place where he found the Ethiopian eunuch riding on his chariot. We're told in the text that the eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was reading, in particular, chapter 53 of Isaiah, which speaks of the suffering servant, Jesus. But the eunuch himself, that Ethiopian eunuch, he didn't know of whom Isaiah spoke as he read it. And so Philip told him the good news about Jesus. He explained to him how this suffering servant that you're reading about in Isaiah is actually Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was just crucified. He has risen again from the dead. He is alive. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And after hearing that good news about Jesus, the eunuch saw some water on the side of the road and said to Philip, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, the word prevents here is key. It means to hinder or to keep someone from something. The Ethiopian eunuch knew that previously he had been prevented from full communion with God. He had just been in the temple in Jerusalem, and he was there in the midst of that busy mess, trying to worship God, trying to pray to God in the court of the Gentiles. But he was in the den of robbers, where the money changers were. The Ethiopian eunuch, he, he knew about his exclusion prior to that moment. And so he probably asked this question about baptism at the moment when Philip, in the story of Jesus, as he was retelling that story, told him about how Jesus sent his disciples to make disciples of all the nations. He sent them out to make people followers of Jesus from among the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the eunuch wanted to know, am I now included? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, can I now have full communion with God? Even though I'm a foreigner and a eunuch, can I be included with full access to God through Jesus? Even though the world called him an outcast, he wondered, can I be included in the family of God? Can I be given that family name of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And what was Philip's answer? Well, Luke tells us, Right then, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Think about this as we read and meditate on that story. Over 700 years before that moment, God had spoken through his prophet Isaiah these words, let no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, and let the eunuch not say, Behold, I am a dry tree. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. That Ethiopian eunuch was baptized into that water there in the desert, baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was the first recipient, the benefits that Isaiah spoke about many, many years before recipient of God's grace and access and inclusion to the people of God through Jesus Christ. So in the world, this Ethiopian eunuch, he had real no opportunity to leave a legacy or to make a name for himself since he was a eunuch. He could not have children to carry on his legacy. And yet, here he was included into God's family and given a name. Previously, he was a dry tree. No matter how hard he tried, he was never enough. He could never belong. His name would not 
endure. But on that moment, as Isaiah prophesied here, he was given a monument and a name in the Lord's house, within his walls, better than any name that he could make for himself in this world. He was given the everlasting name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was given the promise through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the righteous one who was cut off, that he would never be cut off from God again because of Christ. Miroslav Wolf says it this way, Christ came to transform us from never enough people to more than enough people. You see, by grace, Jesus transformed that Ethiopian eunuch from a never enough person. In this world, he was never enough and he could never be enough to one who was more than enough in Christ by faith. That day he was baptized into the rest and the peace and the joy of belonging to God by faith alone in Christ alone. And that promise is for us today as well, that you too can receive that same rest of belonging to God if you just accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior with a believing heart. That you too can be transformed by the power of his blood and righteousness. And nothing prevents you from coming to Jesus except your own sins that you cling to. Let your sin go and come to him again this morning or for the first time. Join yourself with the Lord because he loves to gather in the outcasts. He loves to bring sinners of all kinds back to himself. He loves to bless those who have not with all that he's got. Come to him. Join yourself with him. Lastly, what is the proper response to this truth about God once we have joined ourselves to him? I want you to look at the middle part of verse 6 in the passage. Verse 6, this is the response we are to have. We are called to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Now, why should you love the name of the Lord? Because by faith in the name of Jesus you have received an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. His name is now your name by faith in Christ. And the more you realize that despite your own sins, you have been included by grace into the family of God and given that family name, then the more you will love the name of God and live to serve him with joyful praise. Now, what day of the week do we dedicate the joyful praise of the Lord our God? What day of the week do we come together as outcasts of all different kinds to call upon together the name of the Lord? It is Sunday. Sunday, the Lord's Day, our Christian Sabbath rest. Each Lord's Day, God calls us out of the world as outcasts, gathering us in to rest in his name, to rest from our striving our striving and longing to try and be included in the world, to belong to something important in the world, and instead receive by grace that we have been already included into what is most important, the family of God, and given his name upon us. This is why Sabbath keeping in this passage marks the society of the redeemed, those who've been gathered in. Instead of working to buy more enjoyment, or to earn a name for ourselves, when we Sabbath, we stop. We stop 
from working each week in order to enjoy what we already have by grace in Christ. And we stop to love the name that has been given to us. And so again, this morning, God tells us, stop striving. Shabbat, stop. Stop trying to work your way towards blessedness. By faith, receive it in Jesus' name. Stop trying to make a name for yourself. Shabbat, receive by faith the everlasting name that will never fade or diminish in glory. Receive the name of the Lord your God upon you. Stop striving to belong to the world and start praising God that by faith in Jesus, he has already gathered you in. You already belong. And nothing can separate you from the love of God that is already yours in Christ Jesus. Shabbat. And worship the Lord your God. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage that shows us our deep need of you and how we have so excluded ourselves from you and do not deserve to be brought into fellowship with you. And yet by your abundant mercy and grace you sent your son for outcasts like us to bring us in back into fellowship with you lord we ask that you would by your grace cause us to be enamored by your name to love your name and to serve you and to pause and stop from our striving to rest in what we have received and to praise you together lord for any who have not yet received Christ and have not yet accepted him uh, as their Lord and Savior by faith, we ask that you would grant repentance and faith to that person, that they would stop their striving and rest in you and receive the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, in whom we have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the name that will endure forever. Lord, make this be a reality in the hearts of your people here in this place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.